0: So, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, go ahead and grab them and flip over to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll be looking at uh, the 21st chapter. So, Matthew 21, and the first 11 verses of that chapter. So, Matthew 21 uh, verses 11 to verses 1, excuse me, 1 to 11. That's the Gospel of Matthew 21, 1 to 11. I will read from the English Standard Version. If you have a different version, that's okay. Please follow along uh, as I read. First one. And now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Daniel, for sharing everything I was going to share. No, I'm just joking. Um, Thank you for that great introduction. Um, As Daniel shared, uh, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, This is the Sunday that comes, the Sunday before Easter. So next Sunday is Easter. We call it Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. And from today until Saturday, so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we call that, that this Holy Week or Passion Week. Right, Sunday to Saturday, Holy Week, and then straight afterwards we have Resurrection or Easter Sunday. And this last week um, of Jesus' life really deserves our attention. Right? And so that's why I'm talking about you know, Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about Easter next week. Uh, when you go to the Bible, it gives a disproportionate amount of time or space on this last week of Jesus' life. So Jesus did ministry for three years. So three times 52 weeks is 156, right? So a lot of weeks, but this one week takes up a huge amount of space, right, in the Gospels. So in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, it's 28 chapters, but eight chapters of 28 chapters, that's about 30% are focused on this one week, right? In Mark, he gives six chapters of 16 chapters, Right, that's about 37.5% of the gospel just on this one week. Right? Luke is 6 out of 24. And if you go to the Gospel of John, it's about half. Right? Half of the Gospel of John is just focused on this last week of Jesus' life. And so since the Bible emphasizes this last week and everything that happened, right, we're going to you know, kind of spend a little bit of time focusing on this last week. So what we're going to do is today... I want to talk about Palm Sunday. And then every day from tomorrow, uh, we're going to post up something on our Instagram. Right? That's how the cool kids do it. Um, and so we wrote up a short devotional. Um, the graphic team has created a nice design. So every day, right, we're going to follow Jesus and not, not talk about everything that happened every day, because every day it was jam-packed. But just drill into maybe one or two things that happened that day. Right? So if you have Instagram... Follow Kingsway Evangelical Church, right? And you'll wake up, you'll be able to read this short devotional. It's it's like basically delivered to you, right? As easy as can be, you can read it in your bed and that we might journey with Jesus, right? my hope is that we would get to Good Friday, the death of Jesus, and Easter when he resurrects. And it wouldn't just like, um, "Oh, oh, today's Good Friday, right? It wouldn't just be something that, you know, passes us by, but that because we've walked with him through the week, it would feel more weighty. Right, and we'd uh, really appreciate right, the significance of those days. All right, so that's what we're going to do. Talk about Palm Sunday today. Every day, this Instagram. We've got Good Friday service, right? 3 p.m. here. And then we've got Easter service next Sunday here. Kingsway Evangelical Church, Instagram. All right. Let's jump into Palm Sunday. It all begins here. All right, as uh, Daniel shared, on Palm Sunday... So the Sunday before Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's going to enter into the holy city in a big way. And that's what we're looking at. I've got two points today. Today we're going to... The first point is about the expectant king. Now, a bit less than a decade ago, um, my wife and I, we went to America. And we were in the Hollywood area. We were, it was nighttime, we were going to our dinner place, and as we were passing, I think it's Hollywood Boulevard, or you know, where like, all the you know, hamperts are on the floor and stuff, um, it, was, it was closed off. And there were all these people there, we like, well, what's going on? And it happened to be that it was the premiere of this movie, The Green Lantern, right? And so Ryan Reynolds and all these famous people were going to be there, and there was just this massive crowd of really excited people. And they were there because, you know, they hadn't seen Green Lantern yet and they didn't know how bad of a movie it was. Um, But they were there to obviously see, you know, Ryan Reynolds and all these people. And since we were there, we're like, oh, we'll join along. Right, let's just you know, join along you know, behind this barricade. And so we waited along with this you know, group of excited, frenzied, energetic, screaming fans. Uh, we actually saw Ryan Reynolds. Right? I got on a video somewhere in poor quality. And, and it's funny, he passes my wife and goes, how you doing? And I was like, what? what? <laughs> She's married. Um, and then we got a signature and all of that stuff. Um, and that, that's the kind of atmosphere that I feel uh, is happening here in this passage. There's energy, excitement, maybe a little bit of frenzy. Right? People are really excited that Jesus is entering Jerusalem. As I said, Palm Sunday, it marks the last week of Jesus' life. It really marks the beginning of the end. Jesus, as he enters Jerusalem, he knows exactly what's going to be waiting for him. Right? This is the beginning of the last kind of chapter of his life. And throughout his ministry, uh, even as we've gone through the Gospel of Mark, you might have noticed Jesus has kept his identity somewhat secret. Right? When he'd heal people or cast demons out, he'd tell them not to tell anyone, right? not that they listened. Right? It's because Jesus was waiting for this moment. He was waiting for the moment where he could kind of publicly, in uncertain terms, make clear, this is who I am. Because he knew that this moment would lead to a bunch of dominoes falling that would lead to his death. And so he was waiting for the right time. And this is the time. So he's going to make it very clear who he is. Right? He is the king, the Messiah that they had been waiting for. Right? That time is now. Grand entrance. Right? Everyone's excited. Ryan Reynolds, right? but better than him, is Jesus. Right? Verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And it's a little bit of a funny thing, right? Jesus is sending his disciples to go like, kind of steal a donkey, right, from just over there. There's going to be one waiting for you. And it feels like a weird thing that Jesus would ask them to do. But the next verse, it explains why Jesus tells them to do this. Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." And so it's explaining to us, it's quoting an Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. And that prophecy in the Old Testament, it talks about the day when the king will come into Jerusalem, right? the city of Zion, the king that we've been waiting for, right? expectant, right? we've been expectant of this king, eager, anticipating him. And he will come riding on a donkey. And so as Jesus sends his disciples, what he's basically saying is, that's me. I am the king that you've been waiting for. Right? This is Zechariah chapter 9. This is what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I am this king you've waited for. I'm the one to bring salvation, right? I'm the righteous one. You've waited like hundreds and hundreds of years for this, right? And it is me. That's what he's saying as he rides down the donkey into Jerusalem. And the people seem to at least agree to a certain extent. This is how they respond. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So there's this crowd, and they're gathering around Jesus, and they're throwing their cloaks on the, on the ground, and, and that is symbolic of surrender, right? Surrender to a king. We find this in Second Kings chapter 9. They take branches from a tree. John's gospel, it says it's a palm branches, and they're also putting that on the ground. And this is symbolic of Jewish nationalism and victory, as Daniel said. And so what they're saying is that they understand, to a certain degree, that Jesus is the one to save them. They're surrendering and they're believing that he's going to come and bring them victory. And then verse 9. The crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're praising Jesus. They're laying down like a red carpet of cloaks and palm branches, and then they're praising him with this. This is a quote from Psalm 118. And basically it's saying, save us. Right? It's a cry of help. Save us. But it's also praise. You are the Savior. Right? Hosanna. You're the son of David the one we've waited for in that lineage, bless you. All of this is just like praise to Jesus. It feels like in this moment, like everything's perfect. As Jesus enters the holy city, the crowd is, is worshiping him. They're surrendering to him. Or they're acknowledging him. It kind of feels like this is what, Every, maybe like every dream that we've had for him. But in less than a week, everything is different. You know the story. In less than a week, this crowd that seems to praise and worship him, they're gone. And Jesus hangs on a cross Alone. Rather than the cries of Hosanna, the cry that rings through the air is, crucify him in less than a week. Right? It's quite astounding to think that you could go from this image today, right, where Jesus is being smothered by people like a celebrity. Ah, right? It's just so amazing, can I get your autograph? To being abandoned on a cross. How does that happen? Where does the crowd go? I thought they surrendered to him. I thought they said he was was the savior. They're saying that he's the king that they waited for. They're gone. Before I give the answer, we're going to look at that in the second point. You know, most of us know someone who kind of fits that description maybe. Maybe they used to be in church, Excited for Jesus. Maybe they called him king. Called him savior. They said they surrendered their lives to him. But before you know it, they've, they've gone. And you wonder what happened. Right? What went wrong between what they said and their departure of Christ? Just like the crowd, what went wrong? They said they follow him and then they left him. Maybe that's you here today. At one point, you were so passionate for him. But then you turned your back on him. And I wonder if the reason why those people that, you know, used to be here, or maybe even for you, were excited but then left him was the same reason the crowd did. The reason is this, that even though Jesus was the expectant king, king right, the, the, the one they're waiting for, He was not the king they expected, if that makes sense. They expected a different kind of king. So they were excited that Jesus had come. They called him the Christ. But the king, the Messiah, the Savior that they had imagined was something else. And so when they find out who Jesus really was and what he had really come to give them, they didn't want that. They were let down. And so they turned away. Right, that's what we're going to look at in this last point. This unexpected king. You know, expectations really matter. Whether you're starting a job or your expectations and whether they're realistic, will it be matched? Or when you get married, your expectations, right? All of this stuff matters, your expectation. You know, when I was in early high school, I think I went to watch a movie with one of my friends. His name's um, Michael. And this is pre-internet, we're at Macquarie, um, and we didn't have anything to watch. And pre-internet, we couldn't like, look at the trailers, we couldn't look at Rotten Tomatoes, and so we're standing there at the cinemas, just reading the names of these movies, right, trying to like, guess the, the movie by the name and whether it's going to be good. And we landed on this movie, like there was no movie to watch, but we're like, like we heard Monty Python was good. Right? We didn't know much about Monty Python, his comedy. And we're like, oh, well, let's watch that one then. Uh, that movie was called The Full Monty. Um, we, I don't know if you know what that phrase means. We didn't. Uh, we, it had the word Monty, so we're like, oh, it must be about Monty Python. Um, expecting it to be like a comedy about, I don't know, some guys doing silly things. Full Monty, if you don't know, is like a phrase for a, like a strip show. <laughs> Something like that. And so we're sitting in this movie expecting... Like, Monty Python, and, like, it's about, like, these guys, I think, they ran out of money, and so they end up, like, like, it's not R-rated or anything, but, you know, they end up, you know, like, doing this show and trying to get money, or something like that, you know, I, I've suppressed the memory, I don't really remember the movie, but I remember sitting there thinking, like, what, what what's going on? Like, do we walk into the, the wrong movie? Where's Monty Python? Or where's the comedy? Like, and it's weird, because I'm with my friend, like I, like, I didn't do this on purpose, like, you know, like expectations really matter, right? It doesn't matter if they're good or bad, but if you have an expectation and it's not met, well, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be confused. Maybe you're going to be hurt. You know, when we come to the crowd, they had a certain expectation of the Messiah. You find this throughout the Gospels, right? A lot of the people, the Israelites, were expecting a warrior king, a king who would come to you know, overturn the Romans. Right? Because the Jews were under the governing rule of the Romans and they were waiting for someone, maybe like King David, with a great army to push out the enemy so they could claim the promised land again and live in that place. Or maybe someone like Moses who would come with supernatural power and send plagues that will you know, kind of destroy the, the rulers and they would live in that place. Physical force, plagues, that they might have a good life now. We see this kind of expectation in John chapter 6. It says, when people saw the sign that he had done, right? This is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. It says, when people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world, right? So when you stop there, it sounds like uh, they're saying something good. This is the prophet, right? They're recognizing something about Jesus. But perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, Jesus knew what was in the heart of the people. He knew that they were going to try to make him an earthly king for an earthly kingdom to satisfy their earthly needs. But that's not why Jesus came. He came to be a heavenly king, to usher in a heavenly kingdom and to satisfy ultimately our eternal and heavenly needs. We see this again with the disciples In Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks his disciples, verse 29, who do you say that I am? You, You might know this passage. It's really quite famous and it's quite interesting. Peter, for once, says the right thing. He says, you are the Christ. Ding, 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 ding. A thousand points to Peter. Right answer. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. It's correct. And then straight after this, verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. So Jesus is making a very clear. He's like, I'm going to die on a cross. He tells the disciples at least three times. They didn't get it. So he tells them, I'm going to die. And Peter the guy who got a thousand points before, he took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. And his harsh words, he got a thousand points, but now he's he's called Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, even for Peter, what he was expecting was, again, a warrior king, an earthly king, who would, you know, destroy the Romans. But how can an earthly king die? I mean, that's not the king that he expected. And so he rebukes Jesus, and Jesus says, no, right, you are thinking of earthly things. Right, get behind me, Satan. Peter, like the crowds, had an expectation of Jesus, of who he was, and what he came to accomplish, and he was wrong. And it matters what your expectation of Jesus is. Because if it's wrong, then you're going to be confused. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be let down. And so, as Jesus hangs on the cross, the crowd has scattered. Because the king they were expecting was not the one that would die on the cross. The disciples have scattered. Because, again, the king they were expecting was not one that would die on a cross. They expected a warrior king, but Jesus was a suffering servant. They expected Jesus to bruise the Romans, but Jesus would be bruised by the Romans. They expected Jesus to defeat the governing rulers, but Jesus came to defeat the spiritual rulers and authorities. They expected an earthly victory, but Jesus primarily won them, A spiritual victory, forgiveness of sins, right? Restoration with the Father, eternity in heaven. The disciples, the crowds, they called Jesus the Christ. They called him the Messiah. You're the King. You're my King. But you need to make sure the kind of king you're expecting is the right one. Because it doesn't matter, right? You can call Jesus your Messiah, your Savior, your King. But if you're expecting the wrong thing, you will be let down. And maybe you'll turn away from him. In less than seven days, in less than seven days, a lot of this group abandoned him some never to come back to him and some of them were just confused and after a while they understood and they followed him but some they would leave forever when i think about the people that come to church i mean people leave the church for a lot of reasons but i wonder if maybe some if not a lot of them leave because they had expected a king that Jesus was never going to be. Expectations matter, right? We, I say this to you know, people who get married. Peter and Amy got, they got married um, yesterday, which is, why, which is why I've lost my voice. Um, not, not because like, I, was, I was excited. Um, I mean, I was excited, sorry. <laughs> okay. It was just loud, you know, when you're in a loud big group, everyone's trying to talk and you've got to shout. Anyway. Um, when you get married, Expectations matter, right? Who's going to do the housework? How are we going to share that? Because if you're going to expect, like, they're going to do it all, but they're not, well, you're in for big trouble. Right? I talk to married couples, you know, what does your dad normally do? Because in some, you know, Asian families, like old-school Asian Korean families, after a meal, the dad sits on the couch and turns on the TV. Doesn't help with the housework. Right? If the husband comes into the marriage expecting that, but the wife comes expecting something else. Well, right, something not, not good. People are going to get hurt, confused. You need to figure that out. Finances, how are you going to do that, right? Your expectations on that. Your expectation of Jesus matters so much. Do you have a biblical, a biblical understanding of who Jesus is? And what he has come to do for you. I want to give two examples of wrong expectations. And I was talking to a sister yesterday. I didn't actually ask her permission, so I'm going to be vague. But um, she was sharing how when she was in high school, a lot of her teachers um, had gone through, this was a kind of phase where um, God through, I want to call it, unbiblical, supernatural experiences. Super charismatic experiences, right? And when I say um, unbiblical, I mean like uh, you look in the Bible, prophecy, tongues, you got healings. You find that in the Bible, but these are stuff that like, they're not in the Bible, right? They're kind of just, I'm talking um, like gold dust your teeth turning gold, um, you know, finding gems in your Bible, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And the, the teachers had experienced that stuff. And as a high school student, um, just, just, she was sharing how it felt like that she then had to kind of look for those things as well. And she was sharing the frustration of, of not encountering God in that way, right? Because the expectation that was set for her was this is what God does, This is the kind of God that God is. And if I'm a good Christian, God will give me these things. This is what God will do. It's just sharing the frustrations of really the, the difficulty of coming to God for those things and then not getting it. Now, if God is a God who does those things, then we should go to him with that expectation and then he should give it to us. But if God is not that God, and I'm saying he's not, then you will come to God with a false expectation, and you will be hurt. You will be confused. You will wonder why you're not going through those experiences, and why why am I getting things in my Bible like other people? You will doubt your faith. You will doubt yourself. You will doubt God, and it will be very hard. And maybe like the crowd, you will turn away from your King. Another bad expectation is that we expect God to give us a good life on earth, the way that we define it. God's gonna give me health. God's gonna give me wealth if I have enough faith. I recall this a prosperity gospel. But this comes in like, you know, different forms. Even like suddenly, we can expect that to happen to us, even though we say, no, I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. One way that I've phrased it, that I've heard and that I've explained it is we have this formula in our minds that I am good plus God is good equals life is good. We think that if I am good, I'm a good Christian, I I prayed this week, I read the Bible, if I am good and if God is good, then my life must be good. There are churches that will will say this to you. That if you are a good Christian and you have enough faith, then God will heal every sickness on this earth. And he will make all of us rich. Because doesn't God want the best for us? I mean, it kind of seems to make sense, but it's not biblical. And if that's the kind of expectation we have of our king Our Messiah, our God, if that's who he is, then we'll be okay. But if that's not the God he is, then we're going to be confused and hurt. Because when life is not good, right, life is not good, then you're going to wonder, which of these two went wrong? Maybe I am not good. Maybe life is not good because I am not good. I've been a bad person. I need to try harder. I need to have more faith. I need to pray more. I need to give more to the church. I don't know what it is. And you're going to get into a spiral of confusion there. Or maybe you will say, but I have been good. I've been a good Christian. But life is bad, so that must mean that God is not good. There are a lot of people who find themselves there. They've been taught falsely this formula. And they've done everything that a good Christian should do. But some way, for some reason, life went bad. And the only thing that they can come to is that God must not be a good God. And they turn their backs on him and leave the faith. We need to make sure that the God that we come to and the God that we expect to meet is the God in the Scriptures. You know, one thing we can take away from Palm Sunday is this. What the crowds did not understand, what the disciples did not understand, was that everything in the life of Jesus was leading to this core, central thing, which was the death on the cross. That was central. Christ came to die for our sins. The promise is that he will forgive us of our sins, that He will restore our relationship with the Father, and that He will give us health and wealth, but not
0: in this life.
1: The promise is in the next. He may, He answers prayers, but that's up to Him. He may not. What is promised is that He will for all of us when we go to see Jesus face to face. It's so important to have the right expectation or you will be hurt. You know, as we journey through Palm Sunday, we're just going to see and be reminded again and again that everything in the life of Jesus is funneling toward that moment on the cross, his death and his resurrection. You know, at Kingsway, one of the things that we value is being gospel-centered. We are all about the gospel. Right? There's other things I kind of I talked about. Um, if you've been, like, I don't know, if you're, like, not sure right now, or maybe I pressed on some buttons and I've made you a bit uncomfortable. I, I think all of these things are good. It's for us to journey through and, and, and to find answers for. But one thing that I want to emphasize is that we are gospel-centered. Let's not be like the crowds or the disciples who expected the wrong king and were let down. Let's go to the scriptures and get to know our Savior. Let's do that this week. So let's close our eyes. Let's spend a bit of time of prayer as we come to this God. And as we pray, I want us to come to Jesus For who he says he is, and for what he has told us he has come to do. The victory that Jesus came to bring was not an earthly victory, it was not to defeat the Romans or to establish a nation in this world in the sense that we think about it. It was to tackle our greatest problem of sin, to defeat death on the cross, to do away with the devil, to bring our relationship with the Father together. It's come to bring a kingdom that is both here, but is also going to find its fulfillment later. He will fulfill it later. When Jesus returns in glory or when we die, we will then, in that place, be completely rid of our sin. In that place resurrected, when Jesus returns in, in perfected bodies, it is then that we'll be rich and have treasures and never have want. But in this life, those things are not promised. I invite us to come to our Lord, our King, our Saviour, and praise Him. Not because He's going to satisfy our earthly needs. Not because He's going to make our life comfortable. But because He has died on the cross for our sins. Because He's done away with that great problem. Because He's restored us back to the Father. Because now we live with the Holy Spirit and we have a relationship with Him. Let's praise Him for that. That alone is worthy of praise. So let's spend some time in prayer and glorify God for the gospel. Let's pray.